Welcome to the podcast for We Hope Glasgow. We're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this message from Sunday. May it be a blessing to you today. Well, it's so good to be here. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Josh. I lead our campus in, in Belfast. Um, I've got a wonderful wife, Ruth, and two wonderful children. Uh, Reuben is three and Brooke is four months um, and uh, they are, I'm going to say a delight, but also they love to wreck my sleep. Uh, so I come away to weekends like this and get refreshed because I get to sleep through the night and have a bit of uh, momentary rest. Um, my son this week came up to me and told me a story about how dinosaurs came to die. Bear in mind he's three. And he saw two posters in the city center of Belfast, one for the Titanic Museum and one for this dinosaur exhibition, which is nearby. And so he came up to me really excited and told me how dinosaurs got onto the Titanic, went out into the sea, and they drowned. (laughs) I love kids. Just so good how he just took those two pictures, those two stories, brought them together into this glorious, cataclysmic moment of death. (laughs) So let's come towards this moment with minds like a child, with faith like a child. We read in Scripture how Jesus loves children, and he says and commands us and invites us into this beautiful moment where we can have faith like children. I think sometimes we can come and approach the Word of God so legalistically, and we can come maybe sometimes heavy-hearted, but actually the Scriptures are alive and they're beautiful. And so let's come this morning. And I'm going to read some verses now, which if you've been around church any length of time, you'll have heard these multiple times. Um, so let's come towards them with this childlike faith, with, uh, with an open mind, an open heart, and also ears just to hear these beautiful words from the psalmist David afresh. And so I'm going to read Psalm 23. And if you've got your Bibles turned there, I think it's going to come on the screen as well. But Psalm 23 is this beautiful, rich psalm that David, the psalmist, writes. And and the thing we've got to remember within all of this is that David was writing this from a real place of persecution. His life was one full of tumultuous experience after another. And so he writes this from experience, not from just looking at other people's lives and going, this is what you should do, but actually his life is this story. And so let's read Psalm 23. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup, it overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." So much richness and beauty in those words. But what I want to speak to us this morning 
is this message all around what does it look like for our souls to be healthy and come to a place of restoration. As a pastor, I encounter so many stories and people whose lives are fraught with pain. Some of them physical, mental, spiritual battles they're raging that are in their minds, in their hearts, things that are coming at them left, right, and center. And this psalm is a reminder of who God is, that in the midst of those times, that God invites us to come and find rest and restoration for our soul. This psalm is an invitation and a reminder of who God is, that in the, in the midst of those trials and tribulations, in the midst of the heartache and the pain, God is faithful, that God is with you, that God is wanting to restore you, that He's wanting to bring you back to a place of wholeness before Him. And that this restoration doesn't come on a surface level. It's not a momentary thing, but it's something that God is wanting to take us on a journey of depth. That from the inside out, we will be transformed. That it's not a surface level restoration, but it's something that comes for our soul. That in the midst of the busyness of life, in the midst of this culture in which we're caught up in, in the midst of social media and anxiety and worry and pressures and work and family life and trying to get a balance between all of those things that we all face at different times, that God is one who invites us to come. Just very briefly, I want to define the soul because it will help us to understand this language and help us to go through this a little bit further. In Proverbs 4 verse 23, It says this, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it it flows the springs of life. Another translation says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The soul is that secret hidden place. It's the spiritual edge of your person. Every one of us has a soul. It's our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. It's our choices and the way they get influenced by those hidden secret places. It's our bodily life as well as our social, spiritual life. It's our inner feelings. It's our inner nature. It's those hidden places. But for us to flourish in the midst of the busyness of 2018, in the midst of your life which is fraught with different challenges, We must do the work, the soul-keeping work, as John Ortberg calls it, that soul-keeping. We must do the hard work of looking after that inner place before God, that place that nobody else sees. We must do that work because here's the thing. How we're doing on the inside will determine what fruit we bear on the outside. Jesus talks about a tree, and he says that a tree, a healthy tree, will bear good fruit, he said in Matthew 7. Because if we tend to the tree, the fruit will take care of itself. If our tree is unhealthy, if our inner being is unhealthy, the fruit that we bear will be unhealthy. The inner dimensions of our life, which we read in Luke 10, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, it will flow out of how healthy our soul is on the inside. And this commandment that God gives us to love Him with all that we've got, that this commandment that we've declared that I'm going to love God with everything that I've got, it doesn't so much tell us what we must do, but rather it's a place that we must cultivate 
and look after and care for. Dallas Willard says this, the quality of our souls will indelibly touch others for good or for ill. And so the question that we've got to come around today, are we healthy? Are our trees healthy in order that we can be impactful for the kingdom? We've got to be thinking about who are we becoming because the future that God has planned for us is one which he, we, we must grasp. But it's going to be built on the forging of our character in those quiet, secret places. We must love God with everything that we've got. And, and I love what we do as a church, that both here and in Belfast, we spend time in the Word. We spend time encouraging you to get around your Word. We have Bible retro groups. If you're not in a retro group, get in one. Because as we, our character is forged in the reading of the Scriptures, as our hearts become in line with what the Word of God says, cherish it, spend time in it. And as we do that, our character becomes more in line with who God is. And that not only impacts us on the outside, but it goes deep into us on the inside. How is your soul? Or read your Bible. Pre-service prayer, spending time collectively calling out to God, bringing before Him our repentant prayers, recognizing the things in our hearts that are broken, that are need to bring before God for His forgiveness. There's a rhythm in our life as a church that we're not spoon-feeding you. You've got to do the hard work of discipleship, of apprenticing yourself to Jesus. But in order to do that, we've got to do the work. It's God's intentions that our lives would fall in line with who He is and who He's calling us to be. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things don't come by accident. They come by working on our soul, on the inside of us. God has made abundant provision for us, and we must be ready to receive it. We read this in Scripture that the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, there's a whole list, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we've got to be thinking, what are those things that we are inputting into us? What are those situations, those circumstances that we surround ourselves in that are making our souls unhealthy? And the flip side of it is, what are we doing? What are we picking up? What are we listening to? Who are we surrounding ourselves with that's going to make us a channel of the grace of God to those around us, to be bringers of the good news of the gospel to every part of our life? Because through our lives, God will minister to others. If our, if our souls are healthy, we will bear good fruit. And so we've got to do some work, surrendering our wills and renewing our minds and becoming counterintuitive to the world around us, which tells us that you can become all things if you just put your mind to it. But I think there's something much deeper that we've got to do, and that's not just putting our mind to it, but putting our soul. What are we doing to cultivate a healthy soul? Living the way that God has intended and not just living as ones who are saved, but living as ones who are set free. Because to live set free is totally additional to just simply living saved. And so we've got to understand what it looks like to be free. Matthew 16 says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
What good is it to gain all the riches, all the wealth, all the friends, all the social status, that position in work, all the money in the bank, a big house, a nice car, go on that nice house. What good is it to gain all of that stuff and forfeit our soul? So we've got to do the hard work of looking after our soul because we can have all the fancy stuff on the outside and yet we can be dying on the inside. How many of us come into church or a circumstance like this and, and we're asked, how are you doing? And we just go, I'm fine. And we put on that smile and we go, I'm fine. And we have that church face, I'm fine. But inside you're dying. There's something which is broken within you. There's a relationship that's just fraught and full, filled with tension. There's a circumstance at work that you're just wishing would go away. Maybe you've got questions before God. Maybe you're wrestling with Scripture. Maybe there's just something which is causing you angst and worry. But we say we're fine. But what good is it, Jesus says, for someone to gain the whole world, to be filled with the pleasures of this earth, and yet forfeit our soul? So there is something so vital and important that Jesus is wanting to remind us time and time and time again that we must do the work of looking after ourselves on the inside before a loving and holy God who calls us into the riches of His grace. But we must do that work before Him. Dallas Willard says this, the soul is like an inner stream which nourishes and gives strength to every other element of our life. When that stream flows properly, we are refreshed and content in all we do because our soul is rooted in God and His kingdom. The soul is like an inner stream which nourishes and gives strength to every other element of our life. When that stream flows properly, we are refreshed and content in all we do because our soul is rooted in God and His kingdom. Is your soul this morning rooted in God and the things of His kingdom? Or is your soul bent towards the selfish ambitions of this world where you will never be content, friend? <laughs> you will never be content. There'll always be that extra thing that you're desiring, that other thing that you want, the lack that you recognize in your life and you're longing for more. The soul is like an inner stream. And it reminds us again of those words from Psalm 23. That stream of living water. Are we spending time by that stream of living water? Let me pray for one moment, and then I want to ask you a question. And so, Spirit of the living God, I just ask now that you would come and flow through this room like a stream of living water. Help us in our thoughts and our minds just to come and rest. May this be a time of refreshment. May this be a time of release. May this be a time where we recognize who you are and what you've done and what you've accomplished. And may we stand and sit and meditate and think on all the things that you have done and accomplished on our behalf. So Spirit, come. Fill us afresh, we pray. I wonder... If this morning you are one who has a burden, has a worry, maybe you're someone who's got a weight on your shoulders, maybe you're filled with angst and anxiety, maybe there's a concern, maybe depression, maybe a sin that you're just so wrapped up in and you've been trying to shake it but you just can't. 
Maybe you're fearful. Maybe you turn on the news every day and you, you just get filled with a worry. Maybe there's that family scenario. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe there's just something going on which is gripping you and filling you with unease. Do you carry that burden with you? There was a study done by the, by the Barna Research Group in 2013 that found these results. I think it's on the screen that in fifth place, 41% of people in, 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 in response to this question of what are some of the top temptations that people face is 41% say they're being lazy or not working hard enough. Fourth was spending too much time on social media. Third was eating too much. But the top two were 60% of procrastinating and worry and anxiety. The world that we live in right now is one that is filled with worry and anxiety. I experience it all the time with people I talk with and meet with. People who are worried about stuff going on in their lives. This is a reality that many of us face that is a burden that we carry around with us. But how does this impact our soul? Because if we're honest, if we're really honest about who we are and where we are right now in life, some of us are in that place where we are filled with worry, a fear, an anxiety. Maybe it's what are you going to do next? Maybe you've just graduated and you're thinking, what now? What does life look like next? Once the summer's finished, what, what, what am I doing? And you, and you end up going round and round in a loop and you just are filled with a nervous anxiety. And for some of us, we haven't faced up to the reality that we are in that position. And maybe for some of us, we have recognized it, but we're so filled with guilt about feeling that way that we haven't shared it. We haven't, we're not honest before ourselves because if anyone would know who I am, oh, would they like me? And maybe we've begun to believe a lie. The lie that says to worry is not right. To be anxious is not right. John Ortberg says this, the soul enslaved by sinful acts cannot be healed if we deny that those acts are really our responsibility. And now not for one moment am I saying that worry or anxiety is a sin. I'm not saying that at all. But there are things in our lives, habitual sins that we're caught up in, that if we don't recognize that we need to do the hard work of recognizing them, of bringing them before our loving Father, of bringing them before a God who has accomplished so much on the cross on your behalf, that unless we do that work, as Orberg says, of taking that responsibility, that our soul will continue to be enslaved. And the same can be said for other things in your life, fear, worry depression, unless we accept responsibility and say, that, that is who I am. I, that is who I am. And bring that before God and bring that before others. We're never going to find release for our soul. And so as the psalmist says, we're to come to those still, quiet waters. Jesus beckons us to come. And Jesus himself says this, come to me those who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest Rest for your soul. Rest for your inner being. Rest for those places where you're feeling restless, anxious, worried. And he wants, there's so much release that comes. And that's what we're wanting to find today. And that's what I'm wanting to encourage you to think about today is what are those things that you need to find release from in order to step into the freedom that God has for you? Because for some of us, there are moments in our past which hold us captive. There are things that have been said and spoken over us that play 
like a constant repeating message that we just cannot shake. Maybe it's an unforgiveness issue that just holds you bound and holds you captive, and we need to find release from that. For some of us, we carry around past hurts, scars from past relationships. But every time we see that person, we feel maybe a tension rise within our very being. I want to tell you a story of when I was working in America a couple of years ago. And I say a couple of years ago, it feels very recent, but it was nearly nine years ago. And I was working in northern Michigan, and I was, um, I was a program director at this, at this camp over there, and, and we were doing staff orientation. And so there was uh, a group of us, who, they'd gathered from all around the world, and uh, I, I was a student at the time, I was studying here in Glasgow, and uh, we went over to northern Michigan, and we got paired up with different people who we didn't know, just so we'd get to know them, and, and we went on this canoe trip down the river. Anyone ever been to northern Michigan? One, two. Amazing. And uh, three. Any razors on three? Four. Keeps going. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so we, w- we were going down, uh, down this river, the Asabo River in northern Michigan, and, and we, were, um, we were going away for three or four days. And, uh, and in our canoe, me and my, uh, this partner I was with, we had a dry box, a big yellow box, which had all the, all the sleeping bags in. And we were going off down the river. Now, the river was running high and fast on this day. It had been raining for a number of days prior to this moment. And so we were out uh, going down this river, and, and I, I, I thought of myself, and I, I still do, as a very able canoeist. I thought I had, I had good skills, I, I knew what to do, I knew how to, how to combat the river and all the turns and the bends, I, I knew what to do. Now, this other individual didn't quite know how to navigate the river, and, uh, and I'm being kind there. <laughs> and, and so we were going down this river, and all was going fine, then one thing led to another, and we ended up in the water. Our canoe flipped over. We hit a bend too fast. We lost momentum. And this other individual, rather than paddling on one side of the canoe in order to up us uh, to the right kind of balance, this individual started to dig our oar in on the other side. And we went into the bend too quickly and we flipped. Now, I had done this before. If you, if you ever go out adventuring, if you ever go out doing anything in the wild outdoors, things happen, right? And you just you get on with it, and you right your canoe, and you, and you get back in, and you shake it off. Now, this other individual just screamed and floated away down the river, and I was left there holding on to the canoe as this other individual floated away, and I'm going, what? <laughs> you, you're meant to be here helping, and I'm now dragging the canoe out of the river and trying to get, well, our, our sleeping bags, our dry box had gone as well, and uh, And I reflected on this moment. Now, bear in mind, this happened nine years ago. This isn't a recent event. As I was reflecting on this, I was thinking, why am I still thinking about this moment? What is it that has held me captive to this story? And why, as a result of this, have I been bent out of shape towards this other individual? And the reason I came to realize was not because the canoe flipped over. That happened. It's not because this other individual went floating off down the river. That, fine, whatever. <laughs> they survived. The reason why I was so bent out of shape towards this other individual is because it hurt my pride. And it made me look stupid before others. Just being honest. It made me look stupid before other people. 
These are the people who I was getting to know. These are the people who I wanted to put a face on and go, I'm great, I know how to do this, look at me. It made me look stupid. It hit my pride. You see, I wonder if in your life, if you've got a story like that, where someone has said or spoken something to you that has made you frustrated, angry, bent out of shape towards somebody else. And I share that story, and it's a very fickle story, and maybe shows my insecurity as much as anything. But the honest fact is that for each of us, we have stories where someone has done something, said something, spoken something over us, which has caused us hurt, caused us pain, caused us a grievance. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe you were dating someone and they said something and there was a horrible breakup. And you know what? Whenever that person walks in the room, you're just like, oh, you sicken me. Well, that, you know, and we, we, we end up being in a position where we are so bent out of shape. And you know what? As Ruth and I were processing, and I was sharing this story with Ruth again, and she's like, Josh, isn't it funny that you're sharing this story as a sermon illustration? Because the fact of the matter is that other individual probably has not thought one iota about that moment in the last eight years. They probably have not thought anything about that moment at all. They haven't been frustrated about you. They probably haven't even thought about the canoe flipping. They just moved on. Unforgiveness, just to mention it for a moment, is such an interesting piece. Because that frustration that I feel towards that other individual goes way beyond the way that they've made me feel. There's a quote which nobody quite knows who to attribute it to, which says, holding a grudge is like drinking a poison and waiting for the other person to die. Holding a grudge is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You see, what has that done to my soul? As I'm drinking in that poison, I'm wishing bad on that other individual. That other person isn't hurt by my unforgiveness. They don't even realize. I'm the one who beats myself up every single time because my pride took a beating and I'm frustrated, slightly angry. You see, there's moments in our lives that we've got to own up to. As Ortberg says, we've got to recognize. We've got to recognize those habitual patterns in our life, perhaps that sin that we try to forget and move away from, but it keeps coming back and biting us. It keeps reoccurring, but we're like, what? Why? I've tried to deal with this in my own strength and it's not going away. That unforgiveness is causing me to beat myself up time and time again and I feel frustrated and angry towards that person, but I'm the one who gets angry, not them. I wish they were the ones who got angry about stuff, but they're fine, but I'm the one who's beaten up about this. Charles Spurgeon says this, I love this line, to be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. And yet there is one thing sweeter still, and that is to forgive. As it is more blessed to give than to receive, and so to forgive rises a stage higher in experience than to be forgiven. I love that. Such a beautiful picture. That for us to forgive someone is so much sweeter. So much sweeter. And so we've got to come. And I've shared those stories just because maybe I'm a jerk. But maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just real, a little bit honest about my own insecurities. But we all have those things in our lives that hold us, that captivate our minds, that drag us in a way that maybe we wish they didn't, that hold us captive. 
thought processes in our minds, those sins, those worries, they hold us captive and they don't allow us to live free. But the invitation of Jesus is to live free. But it's also to live vulnerable and honest. You see, God is wanting to step into that place of our fractured soul, that place that is filled with the things that aren't of God. And he's wanting us to live free. But I want to say this to someone here this morning, and maybe this is helpful for someone, is that you do not need to be defined by your past. You don't need to be defined by mistakes that you've made. You don't need to be defined by a past hurt. God has a hope and a plan and a future for your life that goes way beyond that moment, that mistake. And you can step into freedom. You do not need to be shaped by a lie that you've come to believe. A lie that maybe has said you're not good enough. Or who do you think you are? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's something that, maybe it's a parent, something a parent spoke over you when you were young. And you've come to believe it as a, as a truth over your life and it's stopping you and holding you back from living in the fullness that God has created you to live in. But also we read in Scripture that the devil is the great deceiver. He's the great liar. He's the great taunter. He wants to cause you to live in, a, in believing that that lie is truth. And so he'll bring that lie to mind time and time again. Whenever you think you might be feeling good enough to do it, you'll get that whisper in your ear again, you are not good enough. Who do you think you are to do that? The devil is the great deceiver. He's not wanting you to live free, but God is wanting you to live free. God loves you and he's wanting to tell you who you really are. So don't live shaped by a lie. Call it out. In the name of Jesus, may that lie be gone. May I be free from that. Call it out. Call it for what it is. I don't want to believe and live in that lie anymore. In the name of Jesus, I want to step into freedom. We're going to do that in a little bit later. But the devil wants to torment you. Live in freedom. You also not need to live under the shadow of a past mistake. So many of us can live under the shadow of a mistake that we've made. Maybe a mistake in a relationship. Maybe a mistake we've made at work. And we live in a shadow of a regret. But God forgives you. He sets you free. So you need to live in that freedom. And also remember these words that we read in Scripture, that in, in Jesus Christ there is no condemnation for those who believe. And so if you're someone here who believes this morning, if you believe in Jesus, you do not need to live condemned, either condemning yourself or believing the condemnation that comes your way from others. You can live free. And so the question that we've got to come around, and we're going to do this very quickly as we come to close, is how do we begin to live free? How do we begin to step into that freedom? How do we begin to release or find release from those things that hold us captive and hold us bound? I want to offer three practical points. But before we do that, I want to read through, or I'm going to bookend it with two passages of Scripture from Colossians. Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Colossae, he says this in Colossians 3. Since then, he says, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So just think about that circumstance, that position, that thought process that you're in. Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on those earthly things. Not on those things that are holding you bound. Set your minds on things above. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also... You will appear with him in glory. And then Paul goes through a list. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now 
You must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. There's a whole list of things there, which in one sense, that list, there may have been one or two things on there, which you're like, oh, that's me. That's me. I'm filled with some of those things. But what Paul encourages us to do is to set our minds on things above. We'll come back to some of those things in a moment. So I want to offer up three very quick points on how do we begin to find release. Number one, and we'll go through these really quickly. Number one, dwell on the things of God. Psalm 1 says this, How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates it on it day and night. He is like a tree. Again, remember the imagery of Psalm 23. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever he does prospers. And it ends in verse 6 by saying, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. It's a beautiful picture that David here is delighting on the things of God day and night. Day and night. Dwell on the things of God. Dwell on the things of God. Become like a tree, as it says in verse 3, planted by the streams of water. As we dwell on the things of God, we bring to mind His consistency, His character. Maybe the things that He's done for you personally in the past. Remember those things. Dwell on them. Remember His consistency. Number two is surrender and release it all to Jesus. Surrender and release it all to Jesus. Now, for some of us, we are so very good at compartmentalizing our lives into different boxes. And we say, this part of my life, I'm going to give to God. But all this other stuff, no. I'll give God those two hours on a Sunday. I can do that. I can find space for that. Maybe I'll read my Bible a little bit in the week. But everything else, the internal stuff that's going on, my work life, my colleagues, at no, 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 no. I'm going to compartmentalize. We're going to live... But our call, if we're going to live healthy souls, we need to surrender it all to Jesus, recognize what is going on on the inside, become aware, become self-aware of what's happening, and start to bring it all before Jesus. This is how I'm feeling, God. And become like David in the Psalms, where there's so much angst and frustration filled with joy and beauty, where he comes with everything he's got. God, this is what's going on. I can't deal with this right now. Where are you? It brings it all. I surrender it all. And in that place of surrender, we begin to enter into this beautiful dialogue. That's a, a beautiful thing about prayer, is that we're to come as we are. We don't come as we're not. We don't come and put on this face image before God and go, I'm, I'm fine, God. God knows you. He knew you before you were born. He knows everything about you. We've got to come before him, surrendering everything. I love this quote where it says, soul restoration begins when the real you comes before the real God and you say, God, would you be my shepherd? Would you guide me? Would you lead me? Because I know that you are one who leads to life. We must be willing to be vulnerable before ourselves, before our Creator, and say, here it is, every single bit of me. But here's something I've come to realize. The more effort, more education, changing your environment, maybe going to therapy, cannot cure your sin problem and will not make your soul more healthy. It might make you more at peace. It might make you more learned. 
You might have some language around how to talk about it with others. But it certainly won't cure your sin problem and it won't make your soul any healthier. What will make your soul healthier is time spent before the Father, being vulnerable and honest, bringing it all before Him, and just saying, God, this is who I am. Would you come and help me? Would you come into my brokenness and help me? Here is everything I've got. Would you grant me patience to walk with this person? Would you grant me patience to walk with myself and be honest with myself as we surrender it all to Him? And number three, and if there's something we can do for the rest of our lives every day, it's so good. Just remember the cross. Remember the cross. Remember what Christ has done for you in going to the cross, in dying for you. That we as a sinful people are set free by the blood of Jesus on the cross. But as humans, we have this bent and proclivity to constantly do all that we can, not only to forget that, but also to break God's heart time and again by entering back into sin by turning our back away from the way that God has created us to. We have this within us that time again we do this. And so we've got to time and again remember the cross, remember the sacrifice. Our soul is longing to be in line with the Creator. Our soul is longing for that. Everybody in the world's soul is longing to be in line with the Creator. We are all searching for God, but we place our hopes and our trust in the wrong things too often. But when we remember the cross, we get to remember the Christ is one who forgives. The one is Christ is one who loves, who pours out grace, who pours out love over you and says, you are my son, you're my daughter, would you just come and be with me? That in that moment on the cross where with arms spread wide, he said, it is finished. What a beautiful picture that that thing that is holding you bound that it can be finished, that, it, that you can find that release, you can find that freedom, that it is finished. But we've got to remember the cross. And so the invitation for you today is to step into that place of freedom, to be vulnerable with that burden. But I don't want to come back to these words from Colossians, and we're going to close with this. Because in Colossians 3, Paul at the starting block gives this whole list of things do not dwell on the things that you're going through. And he, there was a whole list. But set your minds on the things of God. Set yourself free from all that stuff. And he then goes on and says this in verse 12. And this is true for you as it's true for the, to the people in Colossae. Therefore, as God's chosen people who are holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Remember the cross. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so friends, as God's chosen, dearly, holy, loved people, we've got to do that work of clothing ourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. What would it look like 
If we as a people were to live as people who released, who were free from a burden, who were set free into the fullness that God has created us to be, what would it look like if we lived as people who were not only forgiven, but then can learn to forgive others? What would it look like if each of us were to go out into our places of work, into our families, in our, in our, in our other relationships, in our marriages even, if we were to live free, if we were to live in that love that Christ has given us to then love others, what would this world look like? What would this city look like? If there's a whole bunch of people who lived clothed in righteousness, set free and living as holy, what would this world look like if we were to live released with healthy souls?